Hi guys, Lonre and Lisa here. We just wanted to hop in before the show to tell you how much we appreciate your support. It means so much to us, and we'd love to ask you for a small favor. If you could subscribe to our show, rate us, and write a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods, we would be forever grateful. And if you know someone who'd enjoy listening, please tell them about it. And of course, follow the Hippocratic hosts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to keep up with all the latest news. Thanks, everyone. You're the best. Now on with the show. Modern life. Between careers, kids, and health, it can be mayhem. That's why we're here. I'm Dr. Lisa Varghese-Kroll. And I'm Dr. Lonre Falusi. We're physicians, moms, and longtime friends who break it all down for you. Wondering how to juggle all the balls and still stay sane? Looking for advice but don't want to be overwhelmed? Curious about how to make the most out of life for your family but enjoy it at the same time? You're in the right place. Welcome to Health and Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. On this episode, we're talking about environmental justice. What is it? Why does it matter? And what does it have to do with health? Hey, Lisa. Hey, Lon. Hey, so we're on day, what, 7,803 of COVID? (laughs) How's it going for you? I'm impressed. I I lost count ages ago. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. And, you know, there's so much going on in the world right now, and it can definitely feel overwhelming. Um, But the thing is, when we look deeper into some of those issues of racial inequality and healthcare inadequacies that are in the news here in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world, you know, it's really clear that the environment plays a surprising role in these issues. It's so true. And that's really why we wanted to talk today about the concept of environmental justice, how it relates to our outlook as physicians, and what each of us can do to help. So, you know, to get this topic started, really, what is environmental justice and how does it relate to health? Well, essentially, environmental justice encompasses a few concepts, and one of them um, is the idea of inequities in access to natural resources. So as an example, if a valuable natural resource such as oil only brings profit to the privileged part of a community, then that is environmental injustice. Another aspect of this idea is the concept of inequities in the distribution of environmental harms. So using that same example, if drilling for oil is mainly done in underprivileged parts of the community, that too is environmental injustice. And further, inequities in the ability to develop and enforce environmental regulations and policies, that's also an arm of environmental justice. So if the only people making the decisions about where to drill for oil and who gets to sell it are the privileged then that too is environmental injustice. And to give a few examples of what we're talking about. So for one, we know that water pollution often disproportionately affects Native American communities that rely on fishing. And oil pipelines can increase traffic and air pollution from tanker trucks, which often travel through low-income neighborhoods. And also the Flint water crisis, you know, that led to lead poisoning in primarily lower-resourced communities of color. So, you know, let's talk a little bit more in depth about the Flint water crisis. So as many of you may know, this was a public health crisis that started in 2014 in the city of Flint, Michigan. As part of a cost-cutting measure, city officials had changed the water supply from a treated facility in Detroit to the Flint River. 
but they failed to treat the river water with corrosion inhibitors. Because of this, lead was leached from aging pipes into the local water supply, affecting thousands of residents and alarming pediatricians who were seeing neurologic changes in the local children. And in our show notes at HippocraticHosts.com, we'll link to the book written by Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha, the doctor who was at the forefront of this fight. And we actually talk a little bit more about her book in episode five of our podcast because it was one of our favorite books. So the reason this was an issue of environmental justice is because lead pipes were technically banned in the U.S. beginning in 1986. So the people primarily affected were lower-income residents living in older homes who did not have the political clout to force the city to act. And that is just awful because that is the definition of injustice, (laughs) right? right? And obviously this concerns us just as human beings. But it also concerns us as physicians because environmental injustice is directly linked to poor health outcomes. And no, this is not political. You know, doctors have taken a vow to protect human health. So we must oppose this type of injustice. So using those previous examples. So if a community's main source of industry is eliminated, then the poverty that results can mean its residents have reduced access to healthy food and medical care which then increases the risk of diabetes, heart disease, and early death, right? So, or if truck traffic is drastically increased in a low-resourced community or community of color, then the risks of lung cancer from air pollution or injuries from motor vehicle accidents can increase. And in the case of the Flint water crisis, thousands of children in poverty were unrelentingly exposed to lead in their own homes, (sighs) leading to permanent brain damage and developmental problems. And in countries without universal health care, such as the United States, this is a double whammy because then people living in poverty not only end up with more health problems, but are also then less likely to have health insurance and less access to actually seek care. It really is unbelievable, right, when you lay it out like that. And so I think it's interesting to talk about the history of the field of environmental justice. So Dr. Robert Bullard, a sociology professor at Texas Southern University, is widely considered to be the father of environmental justice in the U.S. And he became involved in 1979 when his wife, an attorney, was representing a group of Houston residents who were trying to stop the placement of a municipal landfill in their majority black neighborhood. And he was an expert witness and found that over 80% of Houston's garbage dumps, incinerators, and private landfills were in black neighborhoods, even though only 25% of the city's population was black. Wow, unbelievable. Isn't it? Really? I mean, that can't be a coincidence. At some point, I think, you know, it really opens our eyes. Mm -hmm. And he also found that, unsurprisingly, the decisions primarily affecting people of color were being made without the input of people of color. And Mm. one of his most famous quotes is, whether by conscious design or institutional neglect, communities of color in urban ghettos in rural poverty pockets, or on economically impoverished Native American reservations face some of the worst environmental devastation in the nation. And then this really came to the forefront in the 1960s during the American Civil Rights Movement when people of color, particularly Black residents, spoke up about public health issues that were disproportionately affecting their communities. Um, So, for example, the Memphis sanitation strike in 1968 was one of the first such events during which the garbage workers in Memphis went on strike for better working conditions. 
And then this continued to grow and the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, was born in 1970 under President Nixon. And, you know, what's considered to be the real start of the American environmental justice movement was the Warren County PCB landfill sit-in in 1982. And that was when a group of environmentalists and civil rights activists staged a nonviolent sit-in to protest a polychlorinated biphenyl, that's PCB, landfill in North Carolina. And they were unsuccessful. But in response to this, the United States General Accounting Office completed a study in which they found, like Dr. Robert Bullard had, that the majority of hazardous waste landfills, 75%, were located in communities that had at least 26% African-Americans below the poverty level. So then fast forward a couple of years ahead, and the Office of Environmental Equity was established in 1992, um, with its name being changed later on to the Office of Environmental Justice. So you're really trying to then codify this idea of justice when it comes to the policies around the environment in the United States. And it's pretty important that they did, really, because detoxification of the Warren County PCB landfill finally began in 2001. Wow, like 20 years later. Right. My goodness. So, you know, there are then, again, fast forwarding now another 20 years, thinking about today, there are major issues affecting us today when it comes to environmental justice. So first, air quality. So communities of color have higher exposure rates to air pollution than white non-Hispanic communities. And this can be because industrial facilities and waste sites are placed in these communities. So it's particularly Black, Indigenous, and other uh, Latino and other um, communities of color. You know, or because busy highways cut through those communities. And this increased exposure then causes higher rates of asthma, cardiac disease, pulmonary disease, and cancer. That's right. And... It's not just air. You know, another major issue currently facing us is water contamination. And this, too, primarily affects under-resourced and black and brown communities. And this can be because of poor infrastructure, such as the lead pipes that were in the center of the Flint water crisis. It could also be because of mining that's focused in the area or waste disposal that's targeted to the area or toxic spills that happen in the area. But the commonality is that although we generally think of access to clean water as a right, the political impetus to fix these situations is lower mm-hmm. when it's these communities that are involved. Right, right. So it's that combination of power when we think about <laughs> these health issues, right? Um, and, you know, so that's air, that's water. And then let's also talk about climate change. So climate change also disproportionately affects under-resourced communities with people of color, Warming temperatures, as we know, will render the world's hottest areas uninhabitable first. And those are areas in Asia, Africa, and South America, um, which are predominantly black and brown. So this then leads to mass displacement, to poverty, illness, and even death, and opens the door to exploitation when these people are desperate to find a place for safety. And we think about erosion and rising sea levels and elevated temperatures that can affect crops and crop survival, um, which can then lead to food insecurity, which is disproportionately devastating for people in poverty. And worldwide, we know that under-resourced and communities of color depend more on the natural environment for economic survival than, say, higher income and white communities tend to. Sure. Right. So in a very real sense, like prosperous nations and communities can 
you know, go on with business as usual, driving high emission vehicles and drive and drilling for oil while less prosperous nations pay the price first. And that's so true. And, you know, in addition to that, after disasters happen, rebuilding efforts are often inadequate for communities of color as opposed to white communities. Aside from just unequal rebuilding priorities, there can be other obstacles as well that sometimes it's easy to miss. Um, For example, after Hurricane Katrina in 2005, black homeowners received an average of $8,000 less in government aid than white homeowners because their houses were considered to have lower value due to the fact that they were in black neighborhoods. And Mm -hmm. that was due in part to the practice of redlining, where banks were able to engage in lending discrimination simply based on the racial makeup of a borrower's neighborhood. And, you know, redlining is now technically illegal in the U.S., but some housing advocates say that it has been replaced by other forms of housing discrimination, including things like predatory lending, where disadvantaged borrowers are targeted for riskier loans. Right. And this is like the legacy of those policies like redlining. It's easy to like think about it as the history and, you know, policies have changed and we've moved on. But really, again, like those systems of power are still there. And it's just there with a different name. It may not be, you know, the the lender sitting there with a red marker drawing around neighborhoods. um, But it happens in other ways that disadvantages different groups. So true. So So this can all feel like very overwhelming, right? Like, how can I as an individual stop climate change? How can I stop predatory lending? Well, there are some things that that we can all do. And one of the biggest things that we can do to support communities that have been disadvantaged by these inequitable systems of power is to protect our environment. So now if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that we believe in making like incremental steps if you're trying to make a change in your behavior. Amen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> baby steps. Right. So and you know, generally we as people just have the most success when we form new habits gradually and you know, one at a time rather than trying to completely overhaul our lives all at once. So you determine which new habits you can add and then commit to doing them again one at a time. Can you stick a bin next to your garbage can to remind yourself and anyone else in your home to recycle? Can you save paper that only has printing on one side to use again for like kids to scribble on or to print a draft of something? You know, can you train yourself and your kids to turn off lights and electronics whenever you leave the room? You know, or use your car as a last resort when you need to go places. And when choosing which item to buy, consider the one with less packaging and make sure you tell that company on social media or, I don't know, through like an old fashioned letter. If people still write those, <laughs> um, that that's why you chose them, you know, so to kind of encourage these companies to use less plastic, less packaging for their products. Right. And you know what? Like that is the upside of social media. We hear a lot about the downsides. But, you know, I mean, companies are much more responsive when other people are seeing the messages you're sending them. You know what I mean? They have extra motivation to respond. And it's always good to tell them not just a complaint, but also a reason why, you know what, you did something right. And because of that, you got my business. I love that. (laughs) Another thing that we can do as individuals is support organizations fighting for environmental justice with our money and or time. Now, there are truly more groups than we could ever name, but we'll link to a list in our show notes at HippocraticHost.com. 
And of course, always do your homework to determine if an organization is truly doing what they claim and using donations appropriately. But this Mm -hmm. list is at least a good place to start in finding a group that fights either for your particular pet cause or on a wider spectrum. That's great. And also, you know, don't forget, you can also contact your elected leaders and let them know that this is important to you. Mm -hmm. So if you go to USA.gov, so USA.gov, that has a page that makes it easy for you to find out who your elected leaders are um, if you live in the United States. And we'll link to these in our show notes on HippocraticHosts.com. And as for contacting your elected leaders, I think it can feel really overwhelming. Like you might call and maybe you're thinking you'll just leave a message, but then, oh my gosh, somebody picked up the phone and it's a staffer and they're like, I feel like that you? no matter who I call. Right, right exactly. <laughs> right. You have to talk to a live human being and I just text them, you know, but the thing is that staff person has to make a note of every call they get that week. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the week, when they meet with their elected leaders, that's how they know what the people that they're representing really find important. So, you know, it's, and you don't have to be an expert on all this. The point is for you to share what is important to you as a constituent. And we all know, you know, they're all trying to get reelected. So um, it is a priority for them to try to listen to and to address what you feel are, you know, concerns for you. Absolutely. I mean, in the end, they work for us, right? It's our votes that put them there. So we have every right to share with them the issues that are important to us. 100%. So with all that, now it's time for our Physician Mom Hack of the Week. So even though it's hard to believe in this, the year of the COVID, the holidays are in fact coming. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, time is not at a standstill? Oh my God. I'm I'm confused. I don't know what to believe. (laughs) But when you're thinking about gift giving this year, consider shopping with United by Blue. And by the way, we are not sponsored by them. We honestly just think that this is a great idea. So United by Blue is a company that removes one pound of trash from bodies of water for every product purchased. And they sell clothes, accessories, and home goods. And supporting them is an easy way we can help reduce the litter clogging our planet's oceans. I mean, imagine how much cuter you'll feel knowing that your shirt helped save some sea life. <laughs> so we'll link to them at, at our show notes, of course, at HippocraticHosts.com. Well, great. That's our show. Thanks so much for listening. Um, and of course, we want to remind you to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and we really love it if you subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Health and Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. Remember that all views expressed here are our own, not our employers. And all content is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice, nor the establishment of a doctor-patient relationship. Always consult your own physician or healthcare team for any medical issues. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us, subscribe, and tell a friend. And check out our website at www.hippocratichosts.com for show notes on this and all our episodes. Can't wait to chat with you next time.